Welcome to a very special edition of the Bullshit Filter. This is episode 121. No Ray with me today, but my the, the Ray before there was Ray. My pre-Ray, Ray. <laughs> my old friend and colleague, Jay David Markham, is joining me today. Long-awaited return to the bullshit filter for J. David Markham. It's been, yeah, I've been on the show in the past, but it's been quite a few years. We had a very uh, fun time doing a Napoleon reunion episode, despite the fact yes. that we were talking about a god-awful film a few weeks ago. That's given <laughs> and we talked about it for almost as long as the film was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it was a much better use of people's time, too, I think, listening to us than watching of, the film. Of course. Of course. So... Uh, look, uh, I guess the, the the setup for this is anyone who has followed us on Facebook over the years knows that whilst we agree violently on Napoleon, we tend to disagree violently on pretty much everything else when it comes to politics. <laughs> and I and I, so you know where I'm coming from. I, I'm not coming into this uh, as a debate. I had to spend an hour trying to convince Chrissy this morning that this wasn't going to ruin our friendship. I think, look, I am. I am genuinely interested in trying to understand more about how David thinks about these issues because I respect you. You're my friend. You're you're an intelligent man. You're a student of politics. And uh, we have very diverging views on this. And our audience knows my views on this stuff. So it's they. I, I don't need to remind them. And Ray tends to agree with me on everything because I've spent 10 years training him how to think properly. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, I thought it would be useful and healthy and interesting for our audience to hear your views and why your views on some issues diverge from mine. So the things I thought, I mean, the obvious things to talk about, things that we would be talking about on this episode anyway, if if you weren't with us, is what's going on in the US presidential election that's coming up, what's going on in US politics uh, at, at a federal level. Uh, what's going on in Israel and Gaza, and what's going on in Russia and Ukraine? They're the sort of the big. Well, there's a lot of geopolitical issues we could talk about, but I guess they're three oh, sure. of the big ones that um, we probably have diverging views on, and which makes it interesting. Where would you yeah, like I'm to gonna, start? I'm, I'm going to guess we do. Uh, you 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 spent uh, uh, all those years training Ray. Uh, and the, you, as you know, I had a birthday uh, a few days ago on Tuesday. It turned 78. So I'm hoping that you will simply accept the wisdom of your elders and, and we'll and we'll do just fine. And, and I, too, I say, uh, you don't look a day under 77. Yeah, I knew that was coming. Uh, I, uh, I, I, too, had some trepidation uh, about you know, would we be at each other's throats and 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 somehow damage uh, our our friendship which my goodness goes back decades at this point uh and i certainly hope not uh you know i i also respect you and and think you're very in, intelligent uh and uh you uh <clears throat> i i every now and then i've i've got a glimpse of some of your political views or or whatever and and yeah, you're right. I don't always agree, but I have always prided myself in having friends with whom I don't agree on everything politically or for that matter, Napoleonically. Uh, 
I think it would be a boring life if you only hung around with people who agreed with you in lockstep. Uh, and, and, and I say that, you know, with, you know, some of the, the, the Trump accolades who, who, who all, you know, adhere to a very narrow point of view, but also some, some groups on, on the left, you know, who, who do not want to tolerate divergence of opinion on, on, uh, at least on a, a large number of issues. Uh, I've always felt that we have a chance to learn uh, from each other if we have some disagreement anyway, and without getting into fisticuffs. And since you are, I'm guessing, 10 or 15,000 miles away, getting into fisticuffs would be somewhat difficult. So we're safe in that regard. <laughs> All right. So where do you want to start? Israel, Russia, or America? Well, I think we ought to end on a relative high note. So we, I think we should save American politics for the end, because if there's any area where we might actually find some agreement, it, it might be it might be that. And it's also if there's any area where I pride myself as, as being an expert, you know, other than Napoleon and a few other historical areas, you know, I've I've been involved in. In, in American politics and so forth for for many 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 decades and uh, you know like to think that I know a, a fair amount about them of course I follow them very carefully even though I live in Canada now but I've been told by many Canadians that Canadians are more likely to follow American politics closely than they are even to follow Canadian politics because of course it's the it's the it's the elephant in the room you know uh, kind of thing I mean. You know, you can love America or hate America or be ambivalent about America. Uh, it's still, you know, a, an extraordinary, powerful uh, nation with influence around the world. And, you know, it, it, you, you, you want to have an idea of what's going on. So I guess the, the, the other two things, which probably won't take a huge amount of time, <clears throat> is, you Ukraine, you know, you're, you're smiling because you know you, you. I have envisioned that this could be the length of of one of our normal podcasts, which is to say, you know, a little Four over hours. an hour. We we know we, we averaged about an hour and fifteen minutes on the Napoleon podcast, and then and then we we with occasional exceptions, and then the the movie thing was two hours and fifteen minutes. And with the movie itself being two hours and, and, and 45 minutes. So we came, we, if we'd have been paying attention, we could have talked another half hour just, just to say we did it. But, uh, uh, so let's, you know, so you're thinking two or three hours. I'm thinking an hour and a half, maybe, because I do want to have dinner at a reasonable hour as well. It's, it's in the evening here. So let's talk about Ukraine for starters. Uh, to me, there isn't a whole lot to say, at least in terms of, the the righteousness of, of one side or the other, as you know, in 2014, uh, <clears throat> Russia under uh, Vladimir Putin uh, marched into to Crimea and, and simply announced to the world that it was now Russian territory because, of course, it was always meant to be Russian territory, never mind the fact that the United Nations and, and, and virtually every country in the world recognized it as part of Ukraine. And the world didn't do much of anything about that. Uh, and, and now I think we're paying the price, you know, uh, 
Now, uh, two years ago, uh, he, he marched into eastern and southern uh, 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 Ukraine and announced that this was always supposed to be part of Russia. Uh, and therefore, you know, in fact, he tried to to take over the whole country. He, he had troops marching from the north on, on Kiev or Kiev, depending on how you prefer to pronounce it. Uh, and that didn't work out so well for him. What he thought might be over in a few weeks and what, frankly, a lot of the people in the world thought would be over in a few weeks uh, is still going on. And Ukraine has taken back a significant amount of territory in previous uh, efforts, but this latest uh, uh, thing has uh, offensive, counteroffensive has has bogged down, and now winter is coming on, which makes you know either side's progress much more difficult, just because of the nature of, of winter fighting. Uh, much of the world has rallied to the Ukrainian cause, certainly the European Union and and NATO and and other other people uh, countries in the world have sent aid. Uh, it's the nature of these things that after a while, people get tired of sending aid if it doesn't seem to be making a, a huge difference. And initially it did. Uh, I, I hope that uh, the United States and, and NATO countries will continue to to give them military and economic assistance. I think we should have learned uh, in, in World War II, the lead up to World War II, that that appeasement, that allowing someone to to take over all of or part of a country just because they have an excuse that could sound sort of legitimate if you if you if you're willing to sort of close your eyes to some facts, uh, how dangerous that can be. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, there's other countries that that he Putin may or may not want to to move in on and and do course. So it's it's good to stand for the rights of people to determine their own future, and clearly Putin has other plans. So you know that that in a nutshell is 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 how I see it. And there's a been a fair amount of barbarity on the part of some of the Russians that has been clearly documented, and and there are war crime investigations uh, going on, and there may be some war crime investigations into some of the actions by some soldiers on the Ukrainian side as well. Uh, in any war, there's always a possibility of some of that. The reports I've seen have it pretty lopsided in, in terms of, in terms of, uh, you know, atrocities or, you know, I mean, it's, it's very clear that, that Putin is deliberately targeting infrastructure that the civilian infrastructure uh with no concerns at all that that there are no claims that they're being used by the ukrainian military uh which is a, a little bit different from the gaza situation which we'll talk about later uh but uh uh you know i think putin is trying to to force submission through 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 terrorism and and you know that's uh, to me unacceptable. But I'd like to hear what your your thoughts are. Mm. So you were talking about what we learned about appeasement in the '30s, <clears throat> and I, I know because I've heard him say it that Putin says the exact same thing about what he believes and many uh, Western 
analysts also believe happened in Ukraine in 2004 and 2014. Uh, and then what was looking like it was going to happen um, when his discussions with Biden broke down at the beginning of last year about Ukraine entering NATO. I mean, there were two revolutions in Ukraine, 2004 and 2014, that seemed to have been, if not engineered, then supported by the United States and perhaps other Western powers with the intention of overthrowing uh, pro-Russian governments in Ukraine and replacing them with pro-Western governments. And, you know, Putin has been very clear about the fact that he and, you know, Russians in general believe that uh, they can't allow that to happen. That's an existential threat to Russia and Russian peoples, both in Russia itself and also the Russian-speaking peoples in Ukraine. If Ukraine gets taken over, uh, in a in a soft uh, way by Western powers in engineered revolutions, and then joins NATO on top of that, which Russians see as a as an existential threat to their country. Well, you know, uh, the 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 revolutions that you call them were were you know very firmly supported by the Ukrainian people and they were happy to get rid of the, of the pro-Soviet uh, leaders. I've never seen any, anything to the contrary, you know, Putin, you know, he, he, he may not want Ukraine to, to join NATO, but it's not his decision to make. It's the people of Ukraine's decision to make through their government. And, it's not an existential threat to 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 Putin. NATO was a defensive organization, uh, and 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 that's that's its fundamental reason for existence. Oh, and by the way, you don't want expansion in NATO, so you go ahead and invade Ukraine. Well, how'd that work out for you, Mister Putin? Because you've well, got it- Finland and probably Sweden joining the, the 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 NATO now, and you know that's that's thousands of kilometers of additional NATO border uh, hmm. on your northern flank, and that you know. I don't think that Finland or Sweden have any interest in invading uh, Russia any more than anyone else really wants to invade Russia. I don't think NATO has any desire to invade Russia. You're you're raising your eyebrows, but I, I, I'd love to see any evidence you have that NATO wants to invade. You know, uh, and and countries have chosen. You know, the Baltic countries, other countries, uh, Poland, etc. They've chosen by the will of their people through their governments to 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 join NATO because they feared the existential threat from an expansionist Russia, which, by the way, those fears have been realized now because it's not NATO, you know, invading, let's say, Belarus. Uh, it's Russia invading Ukraine. So you know the, the 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 proof is 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 in is in the facts, and the facts of the matter are that Russia feels it has the right, number one, to control who does or does not join NATO, 
And number two, oh, there's a few Russian-speaking people there, and some some reasonably high percentages of Russian-speaking people in, in Ukraine. But knowing that they speak Russian doesn't make them Russian. It doesn't make the country Russian. If they don't like living in, in a non-Russian country, they always can immigrate to Russia, You know, assuming that, that, that they will accept immigrants uh, of the very people they claim to want to protect, you know. Uh, Anymore, you know, there's a lot of Russian-speaking people in Moldova, and 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 Moscow has troops and supplies illegally, I think, in Moldova. You know, trying to intimidate them, lest they decide that they would like to uh, to say join join Romania because the, the the language of the country is Romanian. You know, uh, not not Russian. Uh, but I mean, the, the the weakness to your argument, and I understand, I understand your argument, and I and I and and, and I, I realize there could be a different point of view about the nature of, of of NATO or or the Warsaw Pact or you know any any other de- so-called defensive uh, military uh, structure. Uh, but the the weakness of, of of your argument and those and those who who agree with you is the the fact that. One country has invaded another sovereign country that was not in in reality a significant threat to them, uh, had never shown any interest of being aggressive militarily, may or may not have decided to join NATO. And at any rate, that's the right of a sovereign country. I do not understand how you or anyone can justify one country simply invading another country en masse, trying to take over the entire country and absorb it in into Russia. That didn't work. And so now they are supposedly going to be quote unquote satisfied if they can get the the eastern and southern portions that they now control and 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 keep uh, uh the peninsula. I, I I do not understand how how you can justify that. You know, that would would someone have the right to say you know would, would singapore have the right to say i we're going to invade uh, uh australia because we we think that's really part of the 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 the, the landmass ultimately or whatever you know excuse they would come up with uh it or, or would australia have the right to invade new zealand because after all that's a that's a piece of land that's very close to us and it has historic ties to us so of course you know uh, and they speak english so they 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 must be australian I mean, that, what about, to me, it's dangerous. What about the, what about the Solomon Islands? Well, you'll have to refresh my memory. The Solomon Islands, if I recall, are two things. Number one, very, very, very small, and number two, were taken from Japan. You know, was as part of the 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 the, the declared war between Japan and its allies and the U.S. and its allies. And so, yeah, they a few islands here and there were were taken, and and China is trying to take some more north of Japan. Uh, but I I don't think that's even remotely the same. They were, you know, it, 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 I don't know how you can make it a comparison at all. Well, about a year ago, the Solomon Islands talked about uh, allowing China to establish a military base there, and the U.S. ambassador. Daniel Crittenbrink, Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian and Pacific Affairs, said uh, the US wouldn't rule out uh, military action against the Solomon Islands if they allowed China to build a military base there. 
Well, and, you know, you can, uh, nations routinely saber rattle and so forth and so on. But that's not exactly the same thing as invading a major country with billions of people in it, as opposed to trying to maintain influence over a small set of islands that have some strategic value. You know, you can disagree with the United States on that. You can be in favor of China expanding its military might if you want. But you can't make a comparison between the Solomon Islands and the nation of Ukraine. Doesn't the Solomon Islands have the right to allow China to build a military base on their country if they want? I would say that if that's what they if that's what they want, they have a right to do that. And and you know, I don't know. Obviously, I think you've got information on your screen, and I I, I don't know very much about the Solomon Island situation. So I have to concede. I I'm 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 ill prepared to to debate the the nuances of the Solomon Islands, but. Uh, uh, again, even if you want to say that that China should be able to build bases there, you know that's not the same as saying China should be allowed to invade and take over the Solomon Islands, or anyone else should be allowed to invade and take over the Solomon Islands. It was the U.S. Uh, we're and, talking about invading? It was the U.S. that was threatening military action or yes. refusing to rule out military action. Refuse, and, and that might might have involved in, in in simply you know action against you know the, the 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 one part of the island where the Chinese were were trying to build a military base. It does not imply they were going to invade and take over the entire country. And 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 so again, I, I have a hard time seeing how you could make that comparison. You can disagree with the U.S. and you know, Maybe you're pro-China and you think it'd be great to have a Chinese military base there, but you can't say that that a little saber rattling or even military action is the same thing as invading an entire large country and trying to take it over and absorb it as, as part of your own country. Isn't it? Isn't military, no. isn't, isn't the principle that you're trying to um, put forward regarding the Ukraine situation is that Ukraine has the right to f join whatever alliance it wants, form whatever alliances it wants, and that Russia has no say in that, even though it's on their border. And yet the US is claiming the right to interfere with the Solomon Islands' sovereign right to form an alliance with China. Or to allow China to build a military base. I think I think it would be a closer analogy. Analogy would be if the United States or if NATO uh, decided to build a a major military base in Ukraine when Ukraine was not a member of of NATO. Uh, and I suspect Russia would have had some things to say about that. And maybe, arguably, somewhat more more rightfully, is unless Ukraine had chosen to to go to uh, uh, into in NATO. But again, I mean, we can we can talk around in circles for another hour on this, but I'm, I'm just not going to concede that while there may be some small similarity in principle, uh, you you simply cannot make the 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 comparison but but between saber rattling over the Solomon Islands and China uh, possible linking up. Uh, and the blatant invasion with mass destruction uh, of infrastructure and of, and of people uh, that the Russian invasion of Ukraine has uh, has started. It just you know there's there, there's there's there really 
in reality, extremely different, even though you might be able to draw some kind of a theor- theoretical thread that connects them, the reality on the ground in the importance geopolitically of that reality is far, far different. And, and I think you know that, honestly. Well, no, I think the principle is the same thing. But I mean, and, you know, I, I don't want to get into the U.S.'s recent history of invasions, but, you know, it often seems to me that you and many other Americans seem to happily play a game of it's okay for the US to invade countries uh, or overthrow governments of countries, resulting in massive destruction, displacement, deaths, or support other countries' military actions, uh, a la Israel, resulting in massive deaths and destruction, um, and, you know, can justify that to the cows come home. But when a country you don't like does something similar, all of a sudden they're the embodiment of evil. But I want to quote um, somebody who said, uh, was talking about um, Napoleon and uh, uh, (laughs) his invasion of Russia in 1812, uh, he said, probably a little bit like the Russians today didn't really appreciate the expansion of NATO right up to their borders. No matter how much America and the NATO allies said to Russia in the 20th century that this is a peaceful movement, not to worry about your old adversary now having their member states right on your border, President Putin and others are not real thrilled with that. Well, it's very much the same thing in the 19th century. Russia was used to having, you know, buffer states between them and France. And now all of a sudden, a satellite nation in the French Empire is right on the border of Russia and they're not too happy about it. Well, um, yes, and I'm sure that's right a quote honorable. from me. J. I'm, David I'm, sure I'm, I'm sure that's a quote from me, but, you know, context matters. I'm sure I also went on to point out that uh, the, 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 the Duchy of Warsaw, which is the buffer state you mentioned, uh, was a problem but before it even became closer aligned to uh, to 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 the, the French Empire because they never really liked having an independent Polish state there. And of course the the real important thing that that created the situation in 1812 was the continental system uh, where you know they the Russians were prepared to to break the continental system. Uh, and 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 they they got all their ducks lined up in a row so they could they could go into uh, to a war with France and so there there was there was a lot more to it than 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 simply that but I want to re I want to reply to to your earlier remarks uh, it, it's not true that people like me as you put it blithely excuse. Uh, American invasions, uh, the causing great destruction, you know, uh, while while supporting it, uh, you know, opposing it in Russia and supporting it in in in, in Israel, uh, you know, I'm I'm a very proud, decorated Vietnam veteran, but I I, I opposed the war in Vietnam. I thought that was the at the time i thought that was the biggest foreign policy mistake the the us probably uh, ever ever made uh and, and then the the second iraq war came along and and i d- determined 
that it was the biggest foreign policy mistake that America ever made, and 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 I opposed that 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 invasion uh, vehemently. I didn't mind the 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 first one because that was uh, Kuwait was being invaded, and Kuwait was an ally, and you you go in support of your allies and you help them drive out the invaders. But it's important to point out that even though we had the Republican Guard of Saddam Hussein on the run at the end of that war, uh, we declined to go in and try to establish a new government in Iraq or much less take it over or establish a military presence there. Uh, we, we we did not do that. And now Iraq was on honor Inter- too, we should point out. Yeah. Saddam so Hussein was, kind of, was a U.S. Yeah. ally. You, oh, yeah. you funded one, his... In- you funded his attacks on Iran for ten years. Yeah, the the the, the fight between between those two and, and 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 between him and Iran was was you know supported supported by us. You know absolutely, but you know you can't you 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 can't have uh, uh, you know one of your allies being invaded. So that's by the way another that one worked. of your allies. <laughs> I don't know if we were really truly allies with Saddam at, at that stage or not. That's that's something I'd have to go back and look to see what the diplomatic relationship was between them. Uh, and you have the advantage over me uh, in that you have talked about this stuff. I'm, I'm sure on the bullshit factor or filter uh, before, and and you've obviously done some research. Uh, you've got quotes lined up and so forth. Where where I'm just sort of doing this as a conversation between friends who 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 draw on on pretty good sources of of of, of knowledge and and understanding. Uh, okay, but, so but let me. I, I, I didn't go to the trouble of putting together in any old uh, quotes from oh you or God. whatever. You know? you're just <laughs> you're just like Ray. Then you've done about as much prep as Ray normally does. Let me let me. Do you know who William J. Burns is? I recognize the name, but I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. He's currently the director of the CIA. Okay. Um, back in 1995, he was a political officer in the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, and he wrote a memo back to Washington where he said that hostility to early NATO expansion is almost universally felt across the domestic political spectrum here. In 2008, he was still had some role um, in Russia. I think he was the ambassador to Russia at the time or something like that. He wrote a memo to uh, Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice at the time. Mm-hmm. The title of the memo was Nyet means Nyet. And in that memo, he said, Ukrainian entry into NATO is the brightest of all red lines for the Russian elite, not just Putin. In more than two and a half years of conversations with key Russian players, I have yet to find anyone who views Ukraine in NATO as anything other than a direct challenge to Russian interests. Ukraine and Georgia's NATO aspirations not only touch a raw nerve in Russia, they engender serious concerns about the consequences for stability in the region. Not only does Russia perceive encirclement and efforts to undermine Russia's influence in the region, but it also fears unpredictable and uncontrolled consequences, which would seriously affect Russian security interests. Bernie Bernie Sanders gave a speech recently where he said, Vladimir Putin may be a liar and a demagogue, but it is hypocritical for the United States to insist that we as a nation do not accept the principle of spheres of influence. 
For the last 200 years, our country has operated under the Monroe Doctrine, embracing the principle that as the dominant power in the Western Hemisphere, the United States has the right, according to the United States, to intervene against any country that might threaten our alleged interests. That is US policy. And under this doctrine, the United States has undermined and overthrown at least a dozen countries throughout Latin America, Central America, and the Caribbean. As many might recall, in 1962, we came to the brink of nuclear war with the Soviet Union. Now, why was that? Why did we almost come to the brink of nuclear war with the Soviet Union? Well, we did that in response to the placement of Soviet missiles in Cuba, 90 miles from our shore, and the Kennedy administration saw that as an unacceptable threat to national security. We said it is unacceptable for a hostile country to have a significant military presence 90 miles away from our shore. Let us be clear, the Monroe Doctrine is not ancient history. As recently as 2018, Donald Trump's Secretary of State Rex Tillerson called the Monroe Doctrine as relevant today as it was the day it was written. In 2019, former Trump National Security Advisor John Bolton declared the Monroe Doctrine is alive and well. To put it simply, even if Russia were not ruled by a corrupt oligarchic authoritarian leader like Vladimir Putin, Russia, like the <clears> United States, would still have an interest in the security policies of its neighbours. I want people to think about this. Does anyone really believe that the United States would not have something to say if, for example, Mexico or Cuba or any country in Central or Latin America were to form a military alliance with a US adversary? Do you think that members of Congress would stand up and say, well, you know, Mexico is an independent country. They have the right to do anything they want. I doubt that very much. Countries should be free to make their own foreign policy choices. But making those choices wisely requires a serious consideration for the costs and benefits. The fact is that the United States and Ukraine entering into a deeper security relationship is likely to have some very serious costs for both countries. That was early in 2022 when he said that. Um, this is before the invasion. And, uh, you know, it, it, you know, you say they have the right to do it. And you said earlier that Putin thought the war was going to be over very quickly, and it was going to be over very quickly. Very early into his invasion in 2022, uh, Zelensky was ready to meet with him and discuss terms and come to some sort of a peace agreement until um, Boris Johnson shuttled in and spent a few days with him and basically told him or convinced him not to sign a peace deal with Putin. And then the US, along with its allies uh, in Europe, uh, you know, have spent, what, how many hundreds of billions of dollars now? $170 billion, $200 billion to keep the war going. So they could have signed a peace deal. March, April 2022. Instead, the war has been drawn out for 18 months. How many tens of thousands of people are dead, millions displaced, infrastructure destroyed because the US and the UK didn't want Zelensky to sign a peace deal with Putin back in the early days, and it would have all been over and done with. Well. Well, I, I I I dispute a fair amount of that. Let me let me let me go back a little bit though. You know, it may very well be that this Mr. Burns and others have 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 warned that a lot of the Russians don't like the idea of of a uh, of, of you know Ukraine joining NATO. And and it's fair enough that 
Ukraine may want to may take that as part of their consideration, making the decision they whether they decide to 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 irritate the Russians and, and join NATO or appease them, maybe compromise by joining the European Union, but, but which is an economic block as a, as opposed to the military block that NATO is. But it ultimately, again, it's not up to Russia to make that decision or the Russian people. Uh, it, it's up to the Ukrainian people. My recollection is that it was not exactly certain that Ukraine was ever going to actually join NATO. It was much more likely they would try to join the European Union, at least at least in the shorter term. Uh, and, uh, you know, as far as the peace treaty, I, I, I that's not the way I remember the early days at all. Zelensky's country was attacked. He rallied his forces. He was considered, you know, uh, unexpectedly because a lot of folks thought he was going to be kind of a lightweight president. You know, he he didn't have the uh, strong political background that, that the the some leaders have, uh, and they they thought that that he 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 might turn out to be kind of weak, but he turned out to be a very strong and charismatic leader, uh, and and his forces. Uh, pushed back the Russians away from Kiev and 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 basically chased the northern folks all the way back to Belarus. Uh and and then inspired by by the the obvious desire of his people not to be taken over by Russia, then other people uh you know started to 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 lend support. Now did Boris uh, uh, come in and 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 uh and urge him to stand fast rather than to capitulate, uh, that may very well be. I, I honestly don't know, but nothing that I saw, and I followed it very carefully every day. The news coverage on multiple networks and newspapers was was intense, as as, as you well know. Uh, and I don't recall anything about how you know Zelensky yeah. was going to willingly surrender a portion David. of his country. That's because it wasn't covered in the U.S. media. You need to read outside of the U.S. media. So I do. This was covered by Pravda in Ukraine. So well, Pravda. Pravda oh, Pravda is such a good source. David, come on, that's a Russian. David, Russian, David, David, this is Ukrainska Pravda. It's an anti-Russian newspaper. Slow your okay. roll. In May. It reported that, and this didn't get covered in the West, it reported possibility of talks between Zelensky and Putin came to a halt after Johnson's visit. According to sources close to to Zelensky, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, who appeared in the capital almost without warning, brought two simple messages. The first is that Putin is a war criminal. He should be pressured, not negotiated with. The second is that even if Ukraine is ready to sign some agreements on guarantees with Putin, they, meaning the collective West, are not. Three days after Johnson left for Britain, Putin went public and said talks with Ukraine had turned into a dead end. Foreign Affairs in September, October 2022 said, according to multiple former senior US officials we spoke with, in April 2022, Russian and Ukrainian negotiators appeared to have tentatively agreed on the outlines of a negotiated interim settlement. Russia would withdraw to its position on February 23rd when it controlled part of the Donbass region and all of Crimea, and in exchange, Ukraine would promise not to seek NATO membership and instead receive security guarantees from a number of countries. 
So plenty of news sites in June last year covered the story that Boris was still saying he was worried that Ukraine would make a peace deal with Russia. But this story about how the uh, negotiations got scuppered didn't get a lot of coverage in the Western media, only in foreign affairs well, six months after the effect. You know, and you, 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 you always like to blame the U.S., and, and in this case, I guess it's U.S.'s ally, Great Britain. But the reality is, so... Boris Johnson went and, and said, you know, we would prefer to see you stand fast and, and stand up to Putin. Okay, that's his opinion. Russia's opinion is we would prefer you to capitulate and, and join us, you know, in our in our socialist uh, utopia. Okay, that's his opinion. Now, Zelensky and his government and, you know, and the people they have to decide what they feel is best for them. And you can say he was pressured and, and he was being pressured from both sides, by the way. I mean, Putin was obviously, you know, trying to 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 say, OK, we this is our territory now. You have to accept that. And, and Boris Johnson was apparently trying to say, we really think you should stand up to him because he is, in fact, and this is true. In fact, a war criminal, uh, and 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 to, for you to capitulate to him would be a disaster. And Zelensky has to make his choice. So, he, whether he was pressured or not, the ultimate choice was Zelensky's and his government's to make, and they made the choice probably helped by the fact that they had somewhat unexpected success you know in in repelling the 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 russian invasion the russian invasion was not well thought out as it turns out sort of strategically and tactically uh, they 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 made a number of, of mistakes, uh, uh, reminiscent, to, I suppose you could say, of of the, the the choice of formations that Napoleon chose at the end of the Battle of Waterloo. You know, uh, uh, not necessarily going the way it would have been perhaps a little bit more effective. Uh, and so, as a result, Russians uh, suffered heavy losses, uh, both in the north and and also in the south. And now it's dragged on for a long time. But you know, we we we, we we're talking in in circles. The, the 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 reality is that Zelensky is not going to capitulate and and unless he is defeated militarily. If he's defeated militarily, he may or may not be able to hang on to to north uh, western uh central and, and, and northwestern Ukraine and Odessa. You know, maybe Putin for now will just stop where he is, uh, or or he he may have to have further concessions, and it's probably not in the best interest of of the people of Ukraine who are showing extreme bravery uh, and determination to maintain their independence. And so again, I will end up where we started off, and in, in my case at least, it is my sincere hope that the U.S. and its allies will continue to to support uh, uh, Ukraine and, and their fight against this illegal, by international law, clearly illegal and, and brutal uh, attack. And I'm not so, sure we can have much more to say than, than, than what we've said. But Oh, I've got plenty more to say. You, you said earlier on that, you know, um, you've said two things that I think the quote I just read out from foreign affairs puts lie to um 
The first is that Putin's early attacks weren't successful. Well, Zelensky was ready by the sounds of it to sign a peace deal. So it was successful. His plan, his initial plan was successful. He seemed to have got what he, tried, he wanted. He tried, to take was, Ki- he tried to take Kiev and he was beaten back. They thought they would, was, they would lose their capital. They, they attacked the capital from the south and the north. And in both cases, they were repelled. Yeah, well, whether or not he was trying to take it or just trying to distract the armed forces of Ukraine while he was doing other stuff depends on what his strategy actually was. We None of us know what his strategy really was. But the point is that Zelensky sounds, by the sounds of it, by both the Ukrainian media and foreign affairs, uh, Zelensky was ready to come to terms very early on in the whole process. Secondly, you've said a number of times that Putin wanted to take all of Ukraine. According to, again, foreign affairs, he didn't. He was ready to settle for back where they were at February 23, which was taking some of the Donbass region. That was his goal, a buffer zone, and also to guarantee get guarantees from Zelensky that Ukraine wouldn't join NATO. And it sounds like Zelensky was ready to agree to that until the UK and the USA interfered in the process and dragged it out even longer. And in terms of the NATO stuff, let me quote NATO chief Jens Stoltenberg. But but let me, let me, let me respond before I forget, you know, you see, you, you keep saying, well, it sounds like he was willing to cut a deal and it sounds like Putin was willing. It sounds like a sound, but you don't, you don't have evidence for that. It may seem that way to some people and someone who wrote an article on it may have felt that was the way it was, it was going to come down. Uh, I have a very hard time believing that 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 Zelensky was prepared to almost immediately, in your words, uh, sign off on losing most of southern Ukraine, certainly all of it along the, the coastline so that Russia would have a land uh, a bridge to to uh, to Crimea to go along with the the other bridge and, and also his sea routes. Uh, I, I have a hard time, but you, you, you said we don't know really what Putin's goal was, and it's presumptuous of me to say he was going to take over all of Ukraine. You, you, that I don't know that for sure because I don't know. I, I've not looked into his mind, and that's fair enough. It seemed like it was given the military operation, but you don't know either. What Zelensky was really going to do, you've read some people who say they believe that Zelensky was prepared to sign a peace deal, but they don't know, you don't know, and by the way, I don't know really what was in his mind and the mind of his advisors, what ultimately he was going to do. He was getting advice from both sides. I don't dispute that, that, that Boris Johnson gave him advice on one side and uh, as Putin and, 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 and other people, you know, from, from his branch uh, in Belarus and so forth, I'm sure were pressuring him to, to, to take a different approach. The fact of the matter is, regardless of what advice he got and what pressure he had, he chose to defend his country. Russia was pushed back out of the north completely. A lot of the northeast and and, and sort of south central part of Ukraine was retaken by Ukraine in the first counteroffensive. In the second counteroffensive, 
neither side has gained much. I mean, you know, one side gains, you know, control of both sides of of of, of the river at a strategic point. Another side gains a couple of villages, which are bombed out hulks of themselves. I would say any 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 military strategist would tell you right now. You know, after some pretty good success in the first counteroffensive, it's basically a stalemate for for the winter. Chances of anything other than the occasional ship sinking or or something along that line uh, that that might happen. Any any real land progress is going to be extremely limited, and in, in, until you know after the spring, the spring thaws, everything turns to the quagmire of mud. So that that slows things down dramatically, and then next summer. Either side can decide to to mount some kind of, of a major offensive. Uh, either 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 the Russians are pushing north again, or, or 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 the Ukrainians pushing south and east again. And you know, time time will tell how how that goes. Uh, we we just don't know. Uh, all all we can do in our minds is decide for ourselves. Do we think that Ukraine should be supported in its fight to maintain its independence? Or do you think that they should be encouraged to sign some kind of a treaty uh, that Putin, the reports say, is allegedly open to some kind of a treaty as long as he can say he won? And that, that would mean keeping the territory he now currently controls. You know, you could make an argument on both sides of that. I think the Ukrainian people at this point have made it pretty clear, and certainly Zelensky and his government, that they want to keep going. They want to get back the territory, including Crimea, that was taken from them. But uh, you know, a reasonable argument can be made that maybe you know you should quit while you still have the vast majority of your country, assuming that we can trust Putin's treaties and we can get you know, some kind of, of guaranteed security from elsewhere, or maybe that Putin has to, you know, Putin gets territory, but maybe Putin has to concede that Ukraine can join NATO because it's a sovereign country. You know, there are various configurations of potential deals that could be made. Uh, but my argument is that's up to Zelensky and his government. They have to make a decision. You and I can can encourage them from afar and our various respective governments on all sides can encourage them more, more, more importantly, more directly. Uh, but ultimately it's going to come down to two things. What does Zelensky ultimately want to have happen? And two, are the, the, his current allies, which is to say primarily NATO countries, the United States being the, the biggest provider of, 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 of funds, but Germany and Finland and others at Japan is now talking about routing some missiles through the U.S. so they can be sent to, to Ukraine. You know, so there's a fair amount of international support for defending Ukraine's right to, 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 to self-defense. Uh, but again, ultimately, we're just going to have to wait and see what Zelensky and his government decide is the appropriate thing to do. You and I have are very good at having good ideas and, and I respect your ideas and, and and I certainly respect your 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 research. Uh but Zelensky's not gonna listen to you and he's not gonna listen to me. So we could just have to we're just gonna have to agree to disagree and and wait and see ultimately what happens. 
Yeah, it looks like just from the media coverage recently, it looks like the West is starting to pull back from supporting Ukraine. NBC News had a story a couple of days ago, the war in Ukraine is revitalizing Putin as Zelensky struggles with resources and morale. You know, you say the Ukrainians are wanting to defend their country, but Zelensky has had to uh, arrest and imprison a lot of his leadership um, that he's a accused of betraying the country he's you know delayed elections corruption mostly well you he, call he, it he's, he's having to deal with corruption and 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 that's something that that you know we should all applaud uh he's doing a lot of that in response to the requirements of joining the european union you know well the european union requires that a government that wants to join show that it is not full of corruption and there were definitely corrupt people in in in, in that country as there are in 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 russia and elsewhere there are people making making money you know off of the war and 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 this and the other thing you know, now Hunter Biden's got nothing to do with it. Though, that if if you're going to start bringing corruption up the, the right wing, yeah, yeah, we're not going to talk about Hunter Biden. But that's that's oh, that's, that's just you're taking the been, Joe Biden it is, approach. It has been totally debunked. Uh, it hasn't been totally it's debunked. A, it's a it's a big nothing burger. It is uh, not an. Uh, that's that's that's. Uh, Oh, be I, I, that's a convenient way of avoiding a discussion about the facts, but we're talking about corruption in Ukraine, and that's very much part of it. And that gets back to you know, like this whole thing. You tend to start your storyline with you know early 22 or, or Putin's invasion of Crimea. As I said earlier on, from the Russian perspective, and, and many international observers agree, the the coups in Ukraine in 2004 and 2014 were either engineered by the United States or at least vigorously supported by the United States. Let me quote Ian Trainer, the Guardian's European editor, writing in The Guardian in 2004. This is after the Orange Revolution. Uh, he says, but while the gains of the orange-bedecked chestnut revolution in Ukraine's, the campaign is an American creation, a sophisticated and brilliantly conceived exercise in Western branding and mass marketing that, in four countries in four years, has been used to try to salvage rigged elections and topple unsavory regimes. Funded and organized by the U.S. government, deploying U.S. consultancies, pollsters, diplomats, the two big American parties, and U.S. non-government organizations. The campaign was first used in Europe in Belgrade in 2000 to beat Slobodan Milosevic at the ballot box. Richard Miles, the U.S. ambassador in Belgrade, played a key role. And by last year, as U.S. ambassador in Tbilisi, he repeated the trick in Georgia coaching Mikhail Shashkevili in how to bring down Edward Shevardnadze. Ten months after the success in Belgrade, the U.S. ambassador in Minsk, Michael Kozak, a veteran of similar operations in Central America, notably in Nicaragua, organized a near-identical campaign to try to defeat the Belarus hardman Alexander Lukashenko. That one failed. There will be no Kostunica in Belarus, the Belarus president declared, referring to the victory in Belgrade. But experience gained in Serbia, Georgia and Belarus has been invaluable in plotting to beat the regime of Leonid Kuchma in Kiev. The operation, engineering democracy through the ballot box and civil disobedience, is now so slick that the methods have matured into a template for winning other people's elections. Well, 
yeah, it's one person's opinion. And you have a long history of of blame America. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, uh, every every bad thing that happens, you you do your best to trace it back to being you know because of a, a influence or a plot or, or 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 whatever by the United States of America. Uh, you've 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 been that way as long as I've known you. Uh, and and you know it's it's okay. You're you're in, you're entitled to that. But I I reject the idea that the the America was was behind and and the, a major influencer. Uh, it probably did support because the 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 two people that were thrown out, particularly the last one that was that was tossed out of Ukraine, were notably corrupt and 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 unpopular with the people. Uh, and 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 Ukraine is 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 better off with 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 Zelensky. And and by the way, it, where 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 did the last guy go? He 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 be, he hightailed it to Russia because he in fact was a Russian puppet. You want to talk about you know America's influence? What about Russia's influence? They they had their own puppet in 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 there, Putin's puppet, and and he got he got overthrown and 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 went went back to Russia. You know so. You know, again, I I, I don't see, and, and we're running low on time. Uh, I I don't see that we're going Not on to track gain. As far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. Do have you know three about? Hours. Do you know about the Victoria Newland phone call in 2014 after the Maidon Revolution? Well, you're you reading from that? your screen, but no, I I don't recall that offhand. Do you know who Victoria Newland is? Well, why don't you tell us all? <laughs> People who listen to this show know who she is. Um, she is. I'm looking up her current role. She is currently uh, Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs since 2021. But in okay. 2014, she was the Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs at the Department of State. February 4th, 2014, sort of in the middle of the Maidan Revolution, she telephoned Jeffrey Payat, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, um, and uh, they had a telephone conversation, um, basically where they were planning on who, who was going to run the Ukrainian government after the revolution was over. It got bugged. Somebody bugged their telephone call and released it a few days later, probably the Russians. <laughs> Um, but it's very clear in the conversation. This is a famous conversation too, where she said, fuck the EU. Uh, the EU won't be happy about it, but fuck the EU. Uh, <laughs> but she she and Jeffrey Piat were basically talking amongst themselves who was going to be the leader of the Ukrainian government. And I think it was Yatsenuk, they decided, former U European central banker, and he then became the next leader of Ukraine. So... We have that evidence that she and Jeffrey Piat determined who was going to be. They were talking about getting Biden on the phone, making the call, sorting it all out. That they, in the middle of the Maidan protests, they were figuring out who was going to lead the country afterwards. So we have, we have like lots of people around the world. There's lots of scholars who study this region who believe that the US was involved in overthrowing the country. And certainly Putin believes that. Many Russians believe that the US overthrew. The democratically elected governments of Ukraine, not once, but twice in, in a decade. Have you watched um, Oliver Stone's four-hour interview with Vladimir Putin that he did a couple of years ago? No. 
I highly recommend it. I've recommended it on this show many times just to see, like it's four hours of conversations with Putin that he did, I think sort of 2018, 2019, something like that. Um, You know, just to see Putin's perspective coming out of his own mouth. He is a, he is not a dummy. He is. He's not. I agree. Very intelligent, very softly spoken. He understands history. He understands global geopolitical yeah. movements. Oh, and by the way, he, he also kills his political adversaries or throws them into gulags and in, in, in Siberia and, and so on. So, uh, you know, he may be intelligent and soft-spoken, but he's also a murderous dictator who's probably guilty of multiple war crimes. So while I agree, listening to him, and I have listened to interviews with him. I've not listened to that particular interview, but I have listened to, to interviews with him on, on various networks. And I do find it interesting to, to see, you know, and hear, you know, what his perspective is, given that, of course, he's putting on a show to some extent. I mean, as would anyone being interviewed, any, any leader of any country is putting on a show when they're being interviewed, you know, by the news media. And so you have to always take at least a, a little grain of salt with, with how they come across. They're going to, they're doing their best to put their best face forward. And that's understandable. And again, that's universal. It isn't just a Putin thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, it's interesting to know where he's coming from. And it's it's instructive. And it can provide information that allow you to judge what your response should or should not be and how you should or should not approach relationship with Putin and and with his Russia. But that doesn't mean that, again, I get back to the fundamental thing. I don't care what you say about the Solomon Islands or Belarus or, 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 or Georgia or any of these other things. Those may be interesting comparisons, and you may or may not agree with what happened in those situations. But we're talking about Ukraine being invaded by Russia. And what is the world going to do or not going to do about it? We can say what we think they should or should not do, and on that we differ. I think one thing we agree on is you and I are just going to have to wait and see because there's a lot of complexities out there as to what happens next in terms of a potential peace treaty, potential stalemate, potential gains or losses by one side or the other in the in in, in next summer's campaign, assuming the things continue, you know, the 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 effect of more or the same or or, or a big cutback in, in in aid, military and financial aid from essentially NATO countries and, and a few other uh, uh, countries around the world. These are all important factors that are going to determine the ultimate fate of, of the situation there and, and maybe of peace in, in that part of the world. Uh, ultimately, you know, that, that remains to be seen. Uh, but uh, I think the whole point of this conversation was for us to sort of expose our points of view and let people hear your point of view and my point of view. I don't think either one of us really expects we're going to convince the other 
that oh i don't think cameron riley's gonna say you know geez markham you you're right i've been wrong all along about this you, you know and i don't think you expect me to say you know cameron you're right the u.s is just an abysmal horrible beast of that's always trying to do this that and the other thing and and and, and russia is basically just peace loving and trying to preserve the peace by invading its its next door neighbor we're not we're not kind of convince each other so there's no real point in trying okay. let's we, let what we're know. trying to do is show our listeners you know here here are our two different points of view. david it's 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 you know very lazy uh uh like debate approach always to accuse me of blaming America and hating America and all that kind of stuff. I've so, said this to you for years. My, I don't hate America. I, you know, my wife's American. My kid's half American. A lot of my friends and colleagues are Americans. I love a lot of things about America, all the, the films and the music and the books and everything that I've consumed over my lifetime is largely American. I'm just a geopolitical realist. I believe that America like every country, does things that it thinks is um, supporting, promoting its economic interests at the end of the day. I think Russia does the same thing. I think uh, the, the, the monarchs of Europe during Napoleon's time were doing the same thing. I think Napoleon was doing that. I think that's basically what leaders of countries generally oh, yeah. try and do. And not just political leaders. I'm talking about the... Yeah. The, the elite, the economic power oh, within yeah. the country. They're trying to support Absol their rational interests. And Ab absolutely. They, they will often do that at the cost of lives of their own people when they send their own people off to war and often other people. And I think the Ukraine thing, the, the basic story of what's happening in Ukraine to me is the essential story is that since – the end of the, the Cold War in the early 90s, when the world became unipolar in terms of political and military power for a couple of decades, the US saw it as an opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime, a once-in-a-century opportunity to take as much as it could in terms of uh, forming or solidifying its economic block or its trading block around the world. Part of that was, uh, you know, uh, taking over or no, let's say replacing regimes in countries that were run by governments that weren't quite friendly to the United States' trading bloc with governments that were friendly to it. And that was the color revolutions in the early 2000s. Um, you know, Clinton started expanding NATO in 96 after the US and the UK promised Gorbachev that they wouldn't do it. Uh, Russia has spent 30 years trying to uh, ask NATO and the US predominantly not to expand NATO right up to their border, not to encircle them. And the US has basically told Russia to go fuck itself for 30 well, years. And by the way, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you here. I want to reply to that because you've used that term several times, encircled. They don't want to be encircled. Take yeah. a look at the map. This is not encircling them. This is just adding someone to a, an area where they already 
you know, have you know, the bulk of NATO nations against them. They've created a little bit of encircling on their own because of their actions leading to Finland and, and most likely Sweden in the north, you know, but they're still looking at basically their Western front. They've they've got China, they've got they've got Asia, they've got all sorts of countries that are nothing to do with any of this on, on the other two thirds of the of 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 their, of their border. This is not encirclement. It is simply adding bulk, if you will, to the border that they already have with NATO. Well, I'm so just quoting the director. Is, is the, a, I'm quoting the director of the a, CIA, David. He, he well, used it, the word yeah. encirclement. And it, so it, take it up. That, that, Take it up with the director that, of the CIA. The, the director of the CIA is quoting what he says is Putin's concern. Putin likes to call it not Putin. But I've, all of the Russian elite, he said, well, not just Putin. Maybe all the Russian elite use but, that so term as well. But it's still not encirclement. It well, isn't. It, David, see, this is the problem. It doesn't matter whether or not you think it's encirclement. It doesn't matter whether or not you think NATO is defensive or well, aggressive. Well, the map shows that it's not encirclement. It, it, what matters in these situations is what the Russians feel is threatening them. I mean, again, you, you always, um, you know, you're always trying to get me to say, which side do I support? Do I, you know, do, do I justify? Am I justifying this? Am I supporting that? I don't, I don't feel... Like it's my job to justify or support anything. What I'm trying to do on this show is understand the levers. Why a country's doing what they're doing? It's not my job to justify. Americans tend to have this very red team, blue team mentality. You got to pick a side. I, I don't have that particular. <laughs> That's probably view. true. Yeah, I I, 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 I don't have that view. You know, I just try and understand why things happen. Why did Napoleon invade Russia in 1812? I don't need to take a side, although, of course, I take Napoleon's side. That goes without question, but I don't need to. <laughs> but, it, you know, it, it's very evident in this case that Russia, since Gorbachev, has been trying to prevent NATO expansion through diplomatic means. For 30 years, they tried to prevent NATO expansion diplomatically. And it just failed over and over again. Jen Stoltenberg, I was trying to quote before the head of NATO, said this recently. The background to the Ukraine invasion was that President Putin declared in the autumn of 2021 and actually sent a draft treaty that they wanted NATO to sign to promise no more NATO enlargement. That was what he sent us and was a precondition to not invade Ukraine. Of course, we didn't sign that. The opposite happened. He wanted us to sign that promise never to enlarge NATO. He wanted us to remove our military infrastructure and all allies that have joined NATO since 1997, meaning half of NATO, all the Central and Eastern Europe. We should remove NATO from that part of our alliance, introducing some kind of B or second class membership. We rejected that. So we went to war to prevent NATO, more NATO, close to his borders. He has got the exact well, opposite. Of but course so, of course we Alan, rejected that. We don't let him so, dictate to us. So the point is, okay, so that's fine, but this is what happens. If you keep putting enemy bases closer and closer to a country that feels more and more threatened, what do you think is going to happen? Eventually, they're going to have to do something about it. He can't just sit there decade after decade after decade 
with diplomacy failing over and over and over and over again when he's how trying about to – how about He's signing a to, treaty with NATO, not a non-aggression pact with NATO? What, they what tried that. Since- they tried that. Gorbachev and Yeltsin and Yeltsin and Putin all tried to create new alliances that would bring Russia into NATO in a new kind of alliance. It got rejected over and over again. NATO refused to look at entering Russia into a new kind of alliance. Obviously, NATO was set up as an anti-Soviet alliance in the first place, so they were trying to create new alliances. Gorbachev was suggesting that in the early nineties. They've been trying that for thirty years too, and they—they. They, and my point is, what do you expect to happen when diplomacy fails, decade after decade after decade? Eventually, this is what guys like John Mearsheimer have been saying for decades. It's what Chomsky's been saying for decades. If the it's what. Bloody um, uh, George Cannon said, you know George Cannon, the George Cannon when Clint, he was still alive, he was in his early nineties when Clinton mm. started enlarging NATO. George Cannon, the creator of America's Cold War uh, containment strategy, he himself in nineteen ninety six. Let me get the quote. I've got it in my notes here. He said. Um, hold on. Why does it? Oh, I hate it when this doesn't come up. Uh, <laughs> I, I I know the feeling, my friend. Trust me. Let, 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 while you're looking for it, let me. From him. Yeah, yeah, sorry. While you're looking, let me let me say something. You know, you several times you said when Clinton started expanding NATO. You know, Clinton doesn't have the power to expand NATO. Individual oh, countries on. have to decide they want to become members of NATO. They have to jump through a number of hoops in order to show that, that they are deserving of it. And then every single country of NATO has to vote approval. That's why Sweden is not member of NATO yet. There are still two holdouts, although that appears to be to be coming to, to an end now. But every single NATO country has to agree after NATO's governing body says that, okay, they've, they've met the qualifications to, to join us, the economic, military, whatever qualifications. So to say that, you know, you make it sound like Clinton is moving pieces of ch- chests on a, you know, chess pieces on a, on a chessboard, you know, he may have been influencing it and maybe encouraging it. There's no question about it. I don't deny and by the way, I don't generally say that you hate America. I generally say you blame America, you know, for for, for virtually everything. I I, I've had, I've said that once or twice in, in private conversations, but I didn't say it tonight. You you'll you'll notice I was very careful not to say that because I tend to believe that you don't really hate America. You just you hate what we do politically and foreign policy and stuff. You know, to a and large. I don't hate it either. I'm just I just I try to understand it. I'm a realist. Yeah. Here's what George Kennan said in the mid '90s. He said, "Of course, this is about NATO expansion." He said, of course, there's going to be a bad reaction from Russia. And then the NATO expanders will say that we always told you that's how the Russians are, but this is just wrong. And this is exactly the point. He was exactly right. The NATO keeps expanding closer and closer to Russia. Eventually, Russia reacts to that. And then you go, oh, look at Russia. They're invading Ukraine. Yeah, well, they told you for 30 years, stop it, cut it out, or we're going to have to do something. And you knew that, you understood that. 
<laughs> the director of the CIA has known that for decades. You did it anyway. What you knew was going to happen happened, and then you go, "Oh my God, look at Russia! They invaded Ukraine." It just—it's like it's just uh, ridiculous to me that everyone acts surprised when it's almost like you pushed them into this over decades. You knew this would happen. In fact, I have to think that you wanted it to happen so you could use it as justification for more military industrial spending. You know, increasing the sizes of the military industrial complex. And and use well, it to try and now, for regime change in Russia. Why else would now, you keep doing this if well, you didn't now, want now, it to happen? Now I find you insulting. Honestly, no one wants the kind of destruction that you that you see in Ukraine right now. With the really the, the yeah real, real well maybe the Russians do and maybe Putin does because he thinks that's why did, key to victory. Why did, why did you guys tell Zelensky if this happened, don't sign a peace deal, go to war if you didn't want to see this destruction happen? Well, you know, first of all, we we did not necessarily know that 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 Putin would deliberately target civilians and civilian infrastructure. But secondly, again, you a war you, is you, a war, you, man. That happens yeah, in you war, keep, right? you keep you keep saying that you don't want to justify things; you just want to understand them. But yeah. your entire discussion on this this now uh, two hours. Uh, has been just yes, it has since we first That's started. That we did, we had well, our conversation about computers oh, for a few minutes before, but you it's know, been an hour been 16 of hour 16 of recorded conversation, yeah. yeah well, that's that's uh, that's a lot. Uh, I told you about an hour uh, it, topic, <laughs> it, it's yeah, and we're like, we don't have time to do that. Uh, at any rate, uh, much of what you've done tonight. Is in fact try to justify. No, I'm talking about we should have known better. Justification. I'm talking about what Putin's justification is for it. It's not my justification. It's his justification. It's Russia's justification, and what America's justification was for helping, in large part, create the situation in the first place. Well, uh, you can't deny that the US has played a large role in expanding NATO. If you say that that supporting the the survival of a democratically elected government of a country from an illegal and immoral invasion with no in fact direct pretext, the I, I, I they may not have liked the 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 expansion of NATO, but they had no right to invade any country just because they were afraid it might join NATO. NATO has not shown any inclination to invade Russia. It's a defensive organization. It hey, wasn't even what, clear that what that, about the bombing you, of Yugoslavia, the bombing of Libya, the bombing of the Bosnian Serb army? NATO's not defensive. It's led at least three aggressive actions in the last. 20, 30 years. Well, uh, we don't have time to get into those. They were much more complex than simply NATO invading or or whatever. Uh, but there they was did. a great, they, great deal of complexity. We need to stick to what we're talking about. And 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 well, and, this and, this, and, this positioning and, of NATO as a purely defensive organization just doesn't hold water. They're they're they've been an aggressive actor at least three times in the last you know twenty yes, years. Yes, but but. 
not in terms of Russia. Russia has no reason to believe. Russia is a lot different than Yugoslavia. Russia, or, or, you, you can't know. say that. Russia, Russia does believe. The director of the CIA told Condoleezza Rice 15 years ago that Russia believed it. You can't say they have no reason to believe when they obviously do believe it. So they obviously do have reason to believe it. Let's and and I I'm gonna have to go now because this is pretty quickly here because I have I don't have three hours like you apparently do. Uh we 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 have we don't have we have three topics. We I'm not gonna do an hour on topic. We'll do the other topics another time. I'll be glad to come back and continue uh, this. But uh, but the fact yeah, that sure. the fact is it a bladder fact, thing? Is it a is it a bladder thing? No, it's 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 maybe getting hungry thing and and oh, you know. Okay. And you know it's it's seven o'clock in the evening here now, and 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 I have a oh, wife in the other room who might like she, to have dinner with me or whatever. Actually, but, she sent me an email saying she was looking forward to yeah, the peace and quiet. I know she. We have peace <laughs> and quiet for Edna. I know. I saw. I saw that. You know, we we joke about that. She she told me, "Oh, good, take your time, David. Peace and quiet for Edna." You know, that's that's one of her mantras. You know, I go on a trip. You know, somewhere. Oh, good, so <clears> peace <throat> and quiet for Edna. You know, uh, uh, but. Uh, you know, you you say you don't want to, you know, blame or support or or whatever, but but you, you I'll just I'll close my my comments by saying, even if Russia thought they were being encircled, even if Russia didn't really want NATO to expand and had said so, the idea that they were going to get it signed a treaty. Where NATO gives up or makes sub partners, the eastern portion of, of 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 NATO is ludicrous. And if Sweden or Finland ever decided they wanted to join, or if Ukraine wanted to join, and they met the qualifications to do that, Russia may not like it, may feel uncomfortable, and maybe the west should do their best to to mollify russia and say listen he, you know we want you to understand you know but you know russia's been backing out of 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 various treaties on nuclear weapons for example and so forth so you know that's that's a little problematic uh well, but the bottom yes. line is we should do our best to make president putin understand and feel that this is not meant to be a threat. As long as he doesn't invade us, we're not going to invade him. And he's got plenty of military muscle, you know, to to make sure that, you know, the U.S. and NATO don't do something foolish like trying to invade, you know, Russia or Belarus as his good buddy and, and, and so on. But after doing that, the bottom line is Russia had no right by international law to invade Ukraine. It's a violation of international law. And I would like to think that you believe that countries should follow international law. And I'm not going to say that, that, that Putin's the only country and Russia is the only country that's ever violated international law. There are other examples, of course. You, you can, Including you, you, the United States on a regular basis. Well, I, I would say it's possible the United States in some situations. I'd, I'd have to really go through and look at the nature of international law because, you know, what you call invasions of America tend to be more nuanced. There's nothing nuanced 
about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's to straight send your armies and other military across the border and try to take it over. Anyway, I have enjoyed this thoroughly. We we have, as expected, disagreed. I, I hope you're not too disappointed that I don't want to spend three hours doing this. But you know, Very my, my energy my energy level is not the same as yours, perhaps, and mm-hmm. and I have you know my my hunger pains are not the same as yours, and 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 so on. But let's do it again by all means, uh, and and then next time maybe your cohort in crime, uh, Ray Harris, will will be able to join us, and and it won't just be you know. Uh, you beating up on me, it'll be the two of you beating up on me, probably. But you know, uh, no, but regardless, he'll just, I he'll just sit there and chew on his uh, weed gummies and get high and laugh. Oh. That's what he normally does. <laughs> okay, but no, I, I I enjoy talking this kind of stuff, and I enjoy talking it through with you uh, probably much more than if you actually agreed with me on everything. It'd be nice if you occasionally. Th- said that I had a, a good point to make, you know, I, you that, that wouldn't have been, one, I'll, that wouldn't have been too bad, you know, but, yeah. but uh, other, yeah, other than that, uh, I, I've, I've enjoyed hearing your points of view and, and I hope you've enjoyed hearing my points of view and much more I importantly, I hope our, I hope our listeners have found this to be not only entertaining, uh, but also informative, you know, two sides with very opposing points of view, making, Making their argument for for their point of view, and and then let let our listeners decide how how they come down on the issue. But I appreciate I the invitation to do this, my friend. And you know, you will always be a very dear friend, in spite of our disagreements on some political stuff. And uh, that that's not ever going to change. And and I look forward to doing it again. Thank you. It was, it was delightful. Good fun. Thank you, David. Have a good, enjoy your meal. Do my best to eat home with the brave, the American dream. All men are equal, justice is blind, the 